Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we hope that the last season on how we got the Bible was helpful to you. And... Um, we are going to get back to our normal routine of working through uh, a text of the Bible, and we're going to do a partial text this season. We're going to go back to the very beginning after doing our Bible overview a couple seasons ago and just work through Genesis chapters 1 through 4, which is kind of an introduction to God and an introduction to the whole Bible. And we're going to slow down a lot. We've been doing these super fast <laughs> book re- overviews for the uh, previous few seasons. And um, this will be good to just kind of read the text again and uh, work our way through it. Yes, and I appreciate what Stephen just said about learning who God is, because that is the purpose of Genesis 1 through 4. We often run through Genesis 1 through 4 to maybe combat against different teachings out there, evolution, you know, that kind of thing. And Genesis 1 through 4 has its place for that. But I think what we really need to understand is God is revealing who he is by us getting to observe what he does. There's going to be other passages in Scripture where God makes it clear who he is, and he'll say things like, you know, I'm a God full of loving kindness and mercy. Um, I'm slow to anger, and, you know, things like that where he's explicit about who he is and what he is. But then when you come to the text of Genesis, specifically when God creates like we're going to look at today, you learn who he is by watching him watching the way he interacts with his creation and the way he orders them uh, them to do things. And so this is a really uh, important thing for us to do is just to come back to Genesis 1, try to empty the thoughts we perceive or have thought about before on Genesis 1, and just learn who God is from Genesis 1. So that, that's, Lord willing, what we're going to do today. All right. Well, let's jump in and read the text. We're going to try to cover days one through five on this episode and kind of then spend a little more time digging into day six and day seven on future episodes. But let's start from the first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. Uh, Let's read verses one and two. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Wow. So first two verses, uh, already fascinating things uh, that we learn from just the first two verses of the Bible. Um, The first verse uh, begins with, in the beginning. And this already raises questions about the beginning of what? You know, like, what's the reference point here? And one of the things that we're going to learn about God from the very first words of the Bible is that God is eternal. Mm-hmm. All of creation has a beginning, but God has no beginning. He is presented in Scripture as from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, you can look at Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2 about that. And God has no beginning, and yet he's the one creating everything that we know. Yeah. Um, God is eternal in both directions, which it's mind-bending enough to try to think about eternity going forward. But when you try to think about eternity going backwards, something having no beginning, 
it's really mind-bending too, and, to try to wrap your mind around. And I'll tell you why I think it's mind-bending for us. It's because we did have a starting point. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we began, and, you know, for me, July 2nd, 1996, boom, Chase began. <laughs> and it just continues going from there. And then there's going to be an end point for Chase on this earth. And so as temporary creatures, temporary creation, we sometimes have a hard time wrapping our head around an eternal creator. And so God is trying to help us understand from the very beginning I am not like you. You are different from me. Even you trying to wrap your head around who I am, you have a hard time doing that. And so I think it already creates, on our part, it should at least, humility as we approach Genesis 1. This God is something that I am not. What can I learn about him? Yes. And I think the other thing that ought to create humility in us is that God is the creator. Amen. And there's a real sense in which humans fundamentally are not creators. We are arrangers. We cannot take essentially nothing. (laughs) We can't produce something completely new. But we can take what God has created and then arrange it in thoughtful ways. So I do think that we, part of, we'll talk about this in a later episode, but part of us being made in God's image is that we want to produce things. We want to create in the sense that we can, but really it, we're not creating in the same sense that right. God creates. We are arranging already created things. Another way I heard a friend of mine put it was that God creates and we craft what God has created. So that's mm, a helpful yeah, thing I like to that. see. Craft or arrange. Yes. And the other thing that's really humbling about this is to remember that God made us and made everything that we see. And so there's something about when you meet someone and like, well, I I made this. And so the person that made it has a special right to comment on what they made and why they made it and how it functions. And they have a special right to direct that thing. It's It's their property. It's their realm to command because they made it. And so as we are introduced to the God of the Bible, he is the God that is the creator of the heaven, the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And so when he speaks about his creation, when he gives us instructions, we need to have the humility to trust him. As the creation, as, as limited finite creatures, we might sometimes disagree because of our background, because of our experiences within his creation. Say, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't like that. But we have to recognize even if we disagree, we're not the creator. Yeah. We don't see what God sees. We don't know everything God knows. And so we have to have the humility to trust what the creator says about his creation. And sometimes we, we live in an age that likes to put God under a microscope or try to mm-hmm. and say, oh, God said this, God said that, I want to critique that. That's backwards. <laughs> and it's not to say that we never try to make sense of what God said. We want to understand him as best we can. But you can't put God under a microscope. We are the creation. He's the creator. And so that fundamental fact about God is on the very first sentence. And it should create humility humility in us because we are the created. He's the creator. Yes. And when, when do things go wrong for people? It's when they have a skewed perspective of who they are in this universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul put it this way in Romans one twenty five as he's describing the sin of the Gentiles. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so 
They got it backwards, and a lot of problems came out of the Gentiles. If you go and look at Romans 1, you'll see some of the other issues that they had. But this word for creator or God creating is reserved only for God in the Genesis account, and we're going to see it over and over again. And the first thing it tells us that God created was the heavens and the earth. Um, another word for heavens there could be skies. And so God kind of starts off by creating the canvas. And the canvas is three things in verse 2. Formless, void, and dark. And it's really cool as we go through the days of creation in this podcast today and the one next week to watch God fix those three problems, if you will. He is going to give light where there was darkness, and he is going to give form to the once formless and empty earth. Um, and so just kind of watch for that as we go through the text today and next week. Yeah, and I like kind of reflecting on this because this is, uh, it, it, I don't know exactly how to say this, but this is almost day zero <laughs> where like God mm. uh, creates the canvas, if you will. And the canvas that God creates is initially chaos. It is not what God finally wants it to be, but he creates kind of a world that is full of, it's not full, it's empty. And God's going to come into that. God didn't make a mistake. But what's interesting is we're learning that what God does, who God is, is he is a God of order. Mm -hmm. And though he creates initially a world that is uh, formless and empty, the Spirit of God is present. And where God's Spirit is present, there is hope for things that are chaotic and orderless and messy and empty. And from the first two verses of the Bible, we learn that when our lives feel that way, my life feels empty, my life feels formless, what, what is the point of all this? It's chaotic. God is the God of order. And he's going to speak into the darkness. He's going to speak into the chaos and bring life where there was no life. He's going to bring order where there was chaos. He's going to bring hope where there was none. That's the God that we serve. And so I think it's kind of important that God, it's almost like he creates the chaos and then he orders the chaos. It's going to be interesting. We'll see a pattern of this on day six where he initially creates, or actually we'll see it in Genesis two rather. Um, he creates man by himself. And then says it's not good. The man should be alone. And then he fulfills, he fills that void and creates woman. And so God will sometimes do this, is he will create a situation where there's a need so that we can recognize what we're missing and then fill that need. Mm -hmm. And so he does that right here on quote unquote day zero, if you will, right. as he creates the canvas. The one other detail that's given about God in these first two verses we've read um, is that the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters and I always have a very specific image that comes into my mind because it's like it's still dark, but the waters are there, but God's spirit is moving around. And you're introduced to the idea of God's spirit as early as Genesis 1 and verse 2. God is creating in verse 1. He's creator, but he's also a spirit that moves around his creation. How is it that this God can be doing multiple things and still be one? Again, that's part of the mind-bending nature of who this God is. He's not like us. And so watch for the Spirit of God throughout the rest of the Bible. It's cool to watch what the Spirit does. Amen. So then that brings us to day one. Uh, we'll read three through five here. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, 
and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. So I hope everyone is already kind of picking up on, it took me forever to do this, kind of picking up on, this is kind of poetic, the way that this is written. God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's so matter of fact, and that's who this creator is. He is able to speak things into existence, like we've already been talking about. And he specifically points out that this light, and notice that he he fixes the darkness that's talked about in verse 2, that God saw that this light is a good thing. It's the very first thing that God names as good, which is really interesting, because we have a tendency, if we're doing what's wrong, to not appreciate the light and love the light. But God loves the light. He sees it as good. We have to see the light as good as it reveals what's in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And this is the first thing that God says in Scripture. Yeah. God said, let there be light. And what's going to be cool about this creation account is that God creates simply by speaking. It is the words of God that have the power to create life. And this is going to be a theme throughout the rest of the Bible, is that when God speaks, the cosmos moves. Mm -hmm. Things spring into being that we're not. And it's amazing to think about the power of God's words. And this is going to be a theme that John will pick up on in John 1 when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, of course, he'll go on to say that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus. And so we know that Jesus is present. Uh, Jesus is also not created. The Spirit is not created. Uh, They are the three persons of God. And they are all present in this moment of creation. But there's another point about this, let there be light. Um, There's a friend of mine who wrote a song called Let There Be Light. And one of the phrases I like from that song says, let there be light. Uh, Those first words that you uttered showed what you intended to do with every other was let there be light. And, And the idea there is the first words of God Again, show who he is. He is the God that brings light. And all the rest of God's words that he will utter through the rest of Scripture are for the purpose of giving light in our life. The first question we ought to ask when we are wondering about a subject is what what, what words do we have from God on this? Because that's what's going to really illuminate. It's going to really give us light on that subject. And so I, I love, again, every phrase here is rich with meaning as to who God is. He's the God who speaks, and when he, the creator, speaks, we have light on whatever subject, whatever question it is. Yeah. We're also given the detail that light and darkness are two different things, and that was intentional on God's part. He separates the light from the darkness, and he names them. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. God very specifically and deliberately separates these two ideas from each other. And that is an idea carried throughout the rest of Scripture. Those that walk in the light versus those who walk in darkness. Ephesians 5 is a good place to go and and see that very point. And so God is going to use his creation to help us understand more about really what his will for us is as well. The other thing I'll say about, uh, about day one that I think is important to see is that Sun and moon do not come until day four, but there's still light on the earth. God is the source of all light. He is going to give those luminaries later on that have a, a production of light, 
But the source of light ultimately comes from who God is. Mm-hmm. And, and that will be true at the very end of the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's no sun or moon because the Lamb is the light yeah. uh, at the end of Revelation. So there's a lot of cool parallels between and, the first chapters of the Bible and the last chapters of the Bible. In Psalm 139, uh, David expresses a similar feeling that even when there is darkness, it is there's no darkness to God because he is light. That's right. So again, what's happening in these first chapters of Genesis is it's laying down the framework that the rest of the Bible is going to pull from. The themes that are introduced in Genesis 1, light and darkness. Again, go read the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. This theme of light and dark is all throughout. And it's fascinating that God creates in such a way that he, he knows what's coming later. And so there's going to be details that are recorded as, again, Moses is the one writing these first five books. But as this text is given to us, God has foreknowledge. He knows what he's going to do with all this. And so he's telling us from the beginning who he is, how he works, and we'll see these themes woven throughout the whole uh, story of Scripture. Uh, One of the interesting things we're going to see as we walk through these first six days, again, we'll get to episode six later, but is that days one, two, and three are going to correspond to days four, five, and six. And mm-hmm. Chase, you already pointed out that day one corresponds to day four and that God creates light and separates light and darkness on day one. On day four, he's going to fill those with sources of light. Uh, and we'll see day two corresponds to day five, day three corresponds to day six. And really, you know, we talked in verse one, verse two rather, about the two, two of the problems are that the earth is without form, and God is fixing that in days one through three. God forms the, the heavens in day one, and then God fills, the earth was void, but now he fills it on days four, five, and six. So he forms the heavens on day one, fills the heavens on day four. Yeah. He forms uh, you know, seas and skies on day two, and he fills season skies on day five and day three, day six. So it's just kind of cool to, as we're walking through these days to see those things. Mm-hmm. So let's read day two here with that in mind, uh, verses six through eight. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So on day two, uh, it's really cool to watch the water keep moving. So God is hovering over the water, uh, the Spirit of God is in verse two, but now the waters, they're told, and it's kind of cool how like God talks to the water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let there be an expanse here in the midst of the waters. And there's actually a lot of questions about that that I don't fully understand uh, exactly what that expanse would have looked like because we'll see the seas come on in day three, but God just keeps moving the water to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Another word for expanse is a canopy, and so I think the idea here is that there is a vertical separation of waters uh, in this verse, and this may just simply be talking about like the clouds and the water that is, from our perspective, up you know, in, um, yeah, in, in the, the clouds, sky. Yeah. Um, Some have speculated that there, before the flood, there was some kind of water stored above the sky. Again, hard to say exactly. 
But this is a vertical separation of waters. And on day three, we're going to see a horizontal separation of waters where he's going to let the dry land appear. And so the point here is that God is making space here. Essentially, what God is making space for with the vertical separation is he's making room for what we would call the skies. Because on day five, he's going to fill the skies above and fill the seas below uh, with birds and fish, respectively. So as God is forming these things that were once formless, he's now created a space for birds and fish that are coming up later. And so God on day three in verse nine, God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning a third day. So here, like Stephen alluded to earlier, we see the horizontal separation of the waters, which we would call the seas or the oceans, and the heavens, um, or excuse me, the, uh, the land, rather, is gathered into one place as well. The dry land, it specifies. And so you have the oceans and you have the dry land. And God saw that it was good. Yeah, because before this, like when the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters, there's no place that humans can dwell yet. Right. If it's just water, like where are you going to land? And we can't swim forever. And so, again, God is creating space now for another future part of his creation. He's making provision for the future and saying, all right, we're going to put other kinds of creatures on this dry land that are different from the birds that fly in the sky and different from the fish that swim in the seas. And, um, again, he's naming all these things. Pay attention to that because on day six, it's going to be interesting to see that uh, man is going to get to name some things later on. And especially in Genesis 2, we'll see that. So God calls the dry land earth or land. Um, And I will just say here that it is possible that there was originally one big landmass. Sometimes people call that Pangea. Right. And there's some speculation that maybe during the flood things shifted, things like that. That's that's a possibility. Genesis isn't focused on that. Um, But that is kind of an interesting thing to think about here with the background of the first dry land that is created. But God gathers the land in one place, the seas in one place, and God saw that it was good. Now, on day three, we have two speaking acts of God. Mm -hmm. Normally, you've had just God saying kind of one thing per day. But on day three, he says, all right, make room for the dry land. And then he says, okay, we're going to put something on the dry land. We're going to put plants. And he basically just says, grow or like arise. (laughs) Uh Let the earth sprout vegetation. Right. Let it happen. And it was so. And this is what I also love about God is that from looking at just plant life, you learn that God loves variety. He could have said, like, let there be one kind of plant, (laughs) and that'll do it. (laughs) But instead, it's all kinds of plants, and they're going to have seed within them. This is the first part of God's creation that's going to continue to create. Again, it can't make it out of nothing like God can, but there's seed in the plants. 
that are going to create more plants. And so we have the first kind of living, animate part of God's creation. It's going to be a little bit different than the animals and humans, but it is a living thing that reproduces. It's really cool. And I love, like you said, there is a variety in the flowers and the different things that God makes. But it's so cool that even within trees, you could have 50 oak trees and every one of them look so different from one another and then thousands and thousands of types of trees and subspecies of oaks and exactly and so god is able to make things be the same but then be different at the same time yes and that's really important for us to understand because as humans we are the same thing but we are very very different and so god did that on purpose and he's able to make those differences work together in a beautiful way that's right and this is the first time we're going to be introduced to a phrase that comes up in verse 12 each according to its kind Uh, what we're going to see as god creates types of living things is that he does create them with categories Um, he creates them okay the plants are plants and there's going to be variation among them but they're also you can't plant an orange seed and get an apple. You're going to have separation within kinds. And so we're going to see that with plants. Later we're going to see that with animals. And so there is a separation. Um, And that's different than a lot of prevailing theories of what life is and where life came from. But God creates variety, but there's also a limit to the variety Mm -hmm. that there's kinds that God creates uh, within these categories of living things. So That's the end of day three. So again, days one, two, and three are going to correspond to days four, five, and six. So let's read day four here, verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So now God begins to fill the earth and the atmosphere and everything that he made. And we're told in day four that he makes these lights in the skies or the heavens to separate the day from the night. And of course, we know those as the sun and the moon. But the first thing that God said why he's doing it, it, I guess it's kind of uh, maybe the first explanation that God gives. Like, hey, this this is why I'm doing this. It says at the end of verse 14, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So God, with his creation, is able to set the earth to a rhythm. And we are able to tell time today. We are able to say that it is July 29th, uh, well, at the time we're recording this, uh, 2022, simply because God set the earth to a rhythm with all of these luminaries that he set in place. And it really is cool that despite all of the new technology we have now to tell time and to tell what day it was they still had a way to tell time all the way back then and tell what day it was all the way back then because they were able to look up at the stars and so i for one uh i like to read about the history of the 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 pirates and the way that they were able to look at the constellations and be able to tell what direction to head and uh, roughly what what 
month it was and those kinds of things just by watching the different phases of the moon. And God did all of that very deliberately. Yeah. God's not random. Um, I think whenever I go out in my garage and I'm like, oh, I'm going to build something, I, I can tend to be random and rash and the product will reflect as much. God was not like that. He was very deliberate with what he did, and we should be impressed with him by that. Yeah. I love uh, what James comments on this in James 1, verse 17, when he's talking about the unchangeableness of God. He says in James 1, 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When it calls him the father of lights, I think that's a reference to day four, where he says God created the sun, the moon, the stars. And what's amazing about that is there is no variation. We can know exactly when the sun's going to come up, exactly when the sun's going to set. We can know the cycles of the moon. We can track the stars, use it to chart seasons and all these things. And we can do that for However many years forward and backward, it's amazing. So we recently, not too long ago, had like the solar eclipse mm -hmm. uh, here in North America. And fascinating thing. And you can go online and look up, okay, here is exactly where the next eclipses are going to happen. Because creation is so perfectly fine-tuned and set in place, we can calculate hundreds of years in advance exactly where the sun and moon and stars are going to be on any given time. Because God doesn't change. And so he's the father of lights. And because God created changeless sources of time and light, we can trust God. He must be consistent because what he created is consistent. And so I just think it's a beautiful thing that we learn here on day four about the nature of the lights that God made and how we, we literally keep time by them mm -hmm. <laughs> because that's the way God intended them to be. I also love how it communicates to us God placing these things in verse 17, just with so much ease, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. I mean, when you think about how large the sun is and how big the moon is and also how big just stars are in general, I know they look so tiny to us, and yet God just places them. You know, the same way I placed my, my Bible on the table before we started recording, it shows his power. And we should really take a second to be impressed with God's ability to put things where he intended them to be and then when they stay where he intended them to be mm -hmm. watch for that in creation is when god says hey be there and do this the thing is there and it does that <laughs> it obeys the words of the creator and it's just unreal to think about the amount of created power at the last little phrase of verse 16 it's almost a footnote he's like and the stars yeah, he created the stars too. And I'm thinking about, you know, we've had the Hubble Space Telescope, now we've got the James Webb Space Telescope, and just the images that come back of just one tiny fraction of the night sky. God just created all that. It was like, oh yeah, and the stars. It is breathtaking. And you, and you mentioned the size of the stars. There's one star out there that, if I remember correctly, it takes light eight hours to get from one side of the star to the other. You could fit like our whole solar system inside the star. And again, this is just God's creative power. He can just say the word and pff, all of this exists. His creative power in just the stars alone is so humbling and breathtaking mm -hmm. when you really think about it. 
And it really does make man look foolish when you think about throughout the centuries, we have been tempted to worship what? The sun, the moon, and the stars. You go through almost every Mm -hmm. culture, and they have some kind of a God dedicated to those three things. And in Genesis 1, there is no fanfare about them. They are created just like everything else. Mm. The We are to be impressed by who God is, not by what he made. Um, we can be thankful for those things, but they reflect only back on who he is. Yeah, and when, when we are impressed with what God made, it is because we think about God made that. Exactly, and we get those things backwards far too often. Yeah, that's right. And this goes back to Romans 1 yeah. where he says even Gentiles who don't have law from Moses can look at what God made and be without excuse. Mm-hmm. Something non-human and greater than us, something divine and powerful made the sun, made the moon, made the stars. No human could have made that. And so they can know something about God. We can all know something about God because of what he made, and especially as we look up at night. Yep, amen. So looking at day five in verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the water swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. So, again, God is the God of abundance and variety. Um, He now talks to the the waters below and the skies above. He says, let the waters, and the ESV says, let them swarm with swarms. (laughs) It's just teeming with so much life. And again, even just scientifically, we look around and the oceans are just jam-packed with life. Um, It's amazing to me that to this day, we don't know what goes on in the deep oceans. Yes. It's like outer space. Like we we, we sometimes know more about outer space Man. than we do about the bottoms I, of the ocean. I can't remember the stat, but we know a shockingly few things about the bottom of the oceans in comparison to the known land on this yeah. earth. It's it's actually really cool if you ever look into it. And, and again, ought to humble us. Yeah. God <laughs> makes all this life and we can learn so much about it, but the more we learn, the more we realize we don't know about even just the deeps of the sea that God made. Well, and then you get so far down in the depths of the sea. I mean, we can't even exist down there but well, because it's water, but also just because of the the um, the pressure, the atmospheric pressure that, that goes on down there. And there are some animals and fish that God created that can live and thrive and exist in the depths of the sea mm-hmm. where we can't even get to. So God knew what he was doing, and these sea monsters he's talking about um it's incredible to think about the many different creatures we might not have even seen or known about that existed in that day but some of them uh several of them still exist today as you think about a a whale you know and looking at their massive size i'll never forget uh, it's been a few years ago now my family was able to go down to sea world in florida and to just watch an orca uh, swim around and basically be a lap dog to these trainers was crazy to me because these are massive creatures that our great God made. And this is what's in mind here as God puts those things in the seas and in the waters. So uh, we ought to be impressed with who God is here. And I think it's awesome to think about um, the, the, the waters below, 
the skies above. It's almost like God is like, okay, you can't look anywhere without seeing something that God made. And again, days one, two, and three, he's dealing mostly with inanimate creation, but now he's dealing with animate creation. And there's a special other kind of speaking that God does in verse 22 for the first time. God blessed them. So this is the first blessing in the Bible, and it's for the fish and the birds. And he says, the blessing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And so we're going to see a similar blessing of be fruitful and multiply later on with humans as well. But it's cool to think about, again, God creates get the first set and he creates them according to their kinds. Again, it says it twice in verse 22, uh, the the water creatures according to their kinds, the sky creatures according to its kind. So there's a limit to the amount of variation and change, but still a great variety. And then God says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And so he's, again, making provision for the future. He wants these creatures to thrive in the earth. This is a beautiful, perfect place. And one of the things they are to do is to keep making more and keep filling this area that God has given um, because he's, he's blessing them. This is good for them. And so it's a beautiful thing that God's doing um, even before he creates humans, um, as we see what he's done with the plants and now with the, the, the sea creatures and the sky creatures before them. Yeah. So to just summarize the five days we've looked at so far, uh, there's kind of a helpful alliteration that goes on in Genesis 1. God does three things. God speaks, God sees, and then God separates. And wow. we've talked about all three of the ways God speaks, but we'll put it more specifically. The first way that God speaks in Genesis 1 is in the way he creates. He is just speaking things into existence. God blesses, like Stephen just talked about there in verse 22 when he speaks, but God also instructs whenever he's speaking. Now we'll see more of that in day 6 particularly. And we better understand that when God instructs by his voice, his creation is supposed to do what he said. And if you've ever played and uh, played with your kids in those little coloring books, they, they sometimes have those like little things where it's like, which of these pictures doesn't look like the others? <laughs> you can play that game in Genesis 1 through 3 because man is going to start to look different than the rest of creation in some good ways, in some really cool ways, because man is made in the image of God, so he looks different. But he also looks different whenever God tells him to do something and he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so Everything in creation obeys up till Genesis right. 3. And so there's a shift going along with that. Uh, we also see that God sees, and he sees what is good. That was emphasized on each day. And I know we're not there yet, but it's going to finally end in verse 31 with the sixth day. God uh, saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so everything's very good. And God gets to decide when something is good. Mm-hmm. We tend to get ourselves in a little bit of trouble, or a lot of bit of trouble, whenever we try to decide that something is good. You see this in chapter 3. We're going to get there a few podcasts from now. But once the serpent convinces the woman that she should eat this thing, the text says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Well, she might have felt like that that was a good thing, but that did not make it a good thing. That's right. And there's a a statement later on in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, and verse 20, and it says, Woe to those who call evil good 
and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. And that's, that's what humans do, is they try to decide what is good and evil for themselves. And I think this is at the core of what the forbidden fruit was about. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the humans, in their rebellion, decide they want to believe a lie and decide for themselves. Actually, that thing that God said was evil, maybe it's not so evil. Maybe it's actually good. And that's, this is the core of Satan's temptation. Again, we'll get to this in chapter 3. But um, isn't it interesting that that woe in Isaiah 5 includes some creation language? Mm-hmm. That woe to those who call things that are good what God said is evil, or calling evil what God says is good. Both of those are errors that we commit uh, when we are wise in our own sight. And so um, we have to trust the Creator. When He says it is good, it is actually good. And when He says it's evil, it's actually evil. Uh, the last S here is that God separates. We've emphasized that God is a God of order and structure as he separates things, but he also makes those things that are separate work together in perfect harmony and unity. And he is going to do that over and over again in the scriptures. We'll talk more about this whenever we talk about gender roles and the differences between men and women. But we have to understand that God knew what he was doing when he was making us to be the same but different. And we have to appreciate those differences so we can truly see how to work together. And as we come to the end of this podcast, we really need to ask a couple of questions. The first one is, do you love God? Do you love the Creator? Do you love that He made you? And are you willing to listen to Him? Which leads me to my second question, which is, do you trust the Creator? <laughs> I, I think we tend to doubt God all the time. You know, God, why did you make me this way? God, you should not have done it that way. Remember who you are in this universe. You are the creature. God is the Creator. Do you love Him, and will you trust that He knows what is best for you, and will you listen to Him? That's what we're left asking at the end of Genesis 1. Yeah, amen. So, Lord willing, uh, we are going to get right into day six next week, and we're going to spend a whole podcast on it. There is so much to be said about the creation of man and what God's purpose for creating us is and how it's different from the rest of creation. So if the Lord wills, we're going to talk about day six just all in one podcast. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening uh, to this new season. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review so we can reach more people. If you'd like to study the Bible with us, if you have questions or want to study a text, 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. For more information on group studies and worship, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.